So this, what I'm getting to today is uh, uh, largely what I wanted to talk about the first Sunday of the year, and uh, we called a last-minute audible because there were so few people here, and I think there are fewer people here today <laughs> than there were then, <laughs> but we just got to go forward sometimes. So uh, uh, I, I normally don't do this, ask people to watch my sermons, but uh, I'm going to ask people to watch this sermon online because it's very important for what we're doing this year. So if you can help me to uh, share the news with our church family to remind them to, to check out this talk in particular, unless it goes a lot worse than I'm planning on it. Uh, uh, still, even if it does, we've got, uh, we've got important announcements here in this talk, and I, I want everybody to, to see them if possible. So, uh, so spread, spread the word, and let's get everybody on board with the things we're going to talk about today. Uh, I am very happy to, to be with you. I told you a while back that, uh, or, or Daniel announced that I would share some pictures, so here you go. Um, that's what's happened in our world over the holidays. The first picture's in the hospital. The other one, when we brought him home, as you can tell, he's growing like a weed. No, I'm just kidding. You can't really see anything from that picture, but uh, um, that's what you say with kids, I think. Um, uh, we're very happy to have uh, this little child added to our life. William, Will, you can call him... Prince William, Will I Am, whatever. Uh, we're actually, it, Will's not here today, but we're thankful to have uh, such a sweet, respect, respectable young man in this church that we can tell our little Will to look up to. Um, although, Will, if you're watching this, um, as you should be, um, you took a cheap shot at me at Celebrate Jesus. And... Uh, making fun of my singing, and I'm not going to forget that. So um, payback's coming. Um, so anyway, that's our news right now. I want to dive into this talk. Let me, let me open this in prayer here. Thank you, Lord, for this morning and for the beautiful gift of being in your presence. Uh, bless us here, Lord. Bless us with your presence and your wisdom let your word speak to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, if you watched online, we talked about loving God in 2022. And if you remember, we, we noted that loving God uh, is, oh, let me go back here. Um, loving God is what Jesus told us is the most important possible thing. And right next to it is loving our neighbors. And uh, we talked about how we have a choice. That's what we finished up uh, last week online. You have a choice about loving God and seeking God. That's where I want to pick up today and, and remind you of what we said last week, that having a choice or, or making a choice means having a plan. And at least for the things that are significant in our life, if we choose, we plan, right? Well, I'm not talking about necessarily deciding spontaneously to go out to dinner, all right? Yeah, you can choose that without a plan. But anything that's going to be a significant part of your life, if you choose it, you're going to have to plan for it. If you want to learn to play the piano, for example, you have to make a plan about how you're going to do that. Well, when it comes to loving God more deeply and more fully, if we're really going to choose it, then we, we will have a plan for how to do it. And I'll talk to you some about that today. We won't be able to exhaust the subject, but that's what we're going to do hopefully all year long is uh, go deeper into these, these kinds of things. I'm afraid many of us are not even aware of, of what's at stake and what we're called to. Uh, A.W. Tozer is one of 
the great Christians of the 20th century, and he wrote about the state of the church and what's going on in Christian circles around him several decades back. I want you to hear his words. The idea of cultivation and exercise. Pay attention to that right there. The idea of cultivation and exercise. That is the, the development, slow development of something, discipline in something, so dear to the saints of old has now no place in our total religious picture. It is too slow, too common. We now demand glamour and fast-flowing dramatic action. We read our chapter, have our short devotions, and rush away, hoping to make up for our deep inward bankruptcy by attending another gospel meeting or listening to another thrilling story told by a religious adventurer lately returned from afar. You get what he's saying? He's saying we're trying to make up for our emptiness by some big experience, wanting some big happening, to hear some big story from somebody or go to some meeting, and we'll throw in a little devotional time here and there and hope it changes us, hope it fills that inner void we feel. For this great sickness that is upon us, no one person is responsible and no Christian is wholly free from blame. We have been too blind to see or too timid to speak out or too self-satisfied to desire anything better than the poor average diet with which others appear satisfied. We have accepted one another's notions, copied one another's lives, and made one another's experiences the model for our own. Now we have reached a low place of sand and burnt wire grass, and worst of all, we have made, it, made the word of truth conform to our experience and accepted this low plain as the very pasture of the blessed. That's a powerful statement, powerful analysis that I think holds true for our day just as much as it did for Tozer's. We have, we've looked around at the people around us and said, well, this is it. The half-hearted nominal Christianity. And we've said, well, that's it. And we've copied each other's lives, copied each other's experiences, and said, well, this is, this is the real thing. And Tozer is giving us a wake-up call and saying, no, it's not. I've told you multiple times now, I'm afraid you're tired of hearing it, but we, we talk about the, the 8% of young people who are highly devoted now in, in our society and that they're a reflection of the adults. It's a stunning statistic. And I, I worry that when I say that, you're going to say, oh, it's just being redundant, Luke's just being redundant, or, or he's just setting up because he, he likes to rant and rave about these things and it gives him something to preach against. And uh, I, I want you to know that's not it at all. I'm saying this because I believe we have a choice. Because I believe it really can be different for us. And uh, I would not want anyone to get the impression that, that uh, somehow uh, you're, you're hearing a message about perfection, that somehow if you're, if you're not really living at, at the the level of the greatest saints of old, you're not really a Christian. That's, that's not what I'm meaning to say. We're not born full-grown, right? But we do need to have an idea of what full-grown looks like and to know what we're aiming at. And if we just look at those around us who are babes, maybe who never got the impression of, or, or the, the biblical mandate, the biblical teaching of what, what Christ's likeness is really supposed to look like, and if we just say, well, let's copy their life, we may not ever arrive at full growth. Or we never move into spiritual maturity. What A.W. Tozer believed, and what the great saints throughout history have believed, is that you can really grow. You can really move more deeply into the love of God. And that's what we want to do as a church. We want to see the, the bright light of Christ shine and transform people. 
and the community. It's truly possible. And so when we hear things like this, I want to just, just make a caveat up front. We need to be careful about, and, and Tozer actually said this, about agreeing with our minds, but not committing with our wills. And this gets back to the whole planning thing. You know what? I am great at thinking I'm going to go on a diet. You know, you know when, I'm, when I'm the greatest at thinking I'm going to go on a diet? Right after I've had a huge meal. <laughs> Maybe multiple huge meals. And then I think, you know what? I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to diet for the rest of my life. I don't think I'm ever going to go off a diet. <laughs> because it sounds good in that moment, right? But I've still got life to live. And I know later on it doesn't sound so good. Be careful of being in a setting like this where Christian pursuit of God sounds good. You agree with your mind. Maybe you desire it, but you don't decide for it. Desiring and deciding are not the same thing. And deciding for something like this, something that involves a significant change in life, that will always involve scheduling. It will always involve a plan. That, that's, what, that's what deciding important things is. And so we want not just to agree with our mind, we want to commit with our will. I want to turn to the Apostle Paul with you for a little bit this morning. And um, I want to let this scripture in 2 Corinthians 4 function on two levels for us. Uh, on one level, it functions for me as a minister. And I want it to, to influence the way you hear what I say to you today. And you think about me, at least I'm trying to walk in Paul's footsteps and the way I'm functioning as a minister here. On another level, I want it to function for all of us as we think about life and ministry, doing it like Paul did it. And the way he's talking about his ministry here in 2 Corinthians 4 is the way we should all, in some sense, think of our lives. Okay, So hear it on two levels as we talk today, and that will lead us into the, the invitation that I want to make to you today. Okay, this is... Guys, this is the wrong PowerPoint, and I am really sorry. Um, did I send you another one? <laughs> okay, get, put that up there. And, uh, man, this is, uh, this is really tricky uh, because I need that PowerPoint. <laughs> if y'all don't have another more recent one from me, then uh, I'm going to ask Olivia to do an emergency move and go to my office and send you Okay, all right, well, let's go. I'm getting to the scripture, and you guys just do your thing back there. I, I apologize, guys. Uh, don't, uh, don't lose focus here uh, on, on what matters. Um, my PowerPoint really matters to me, but uh, this scripture should matter to you. Okay, therefore, Paul says, since through God's mercy we have received this ministry, we do not lose heart. Now, why might Paul be tempted to lose heart? Well, if you know anything about Paul, he is someone who dealt with opposition. He dealt with persecution. He had people turning against him. And uh, uh, he, he faced a lot, of, uh, a lot of bad stuff. I mean, the guy uh, faced beatings and, and all kinds of peril. And you'd see how... how it, and then just dealing with Christians who turned against him, Christians who weren't uh, treating him right, you can see how somebody like that would... Uh, want to lose heart and be tempted to, to give up, as some translations say. And Paul says, I don't do that because I know I've received this ministry by God's mercy. 
Just as I have been saved by God's mercy, I've received this ministry by God's mercy, and so I'm going to live without giving up. Paul is always thinking about what God is doing, and that's directing his ministry. So then he says, thank you, since we've received this ministry, just as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. I want you just to think about that. This just jumped out at me last week, I think, when I was reading 2 Corinthians. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice or cunning, to be tricky, or to tamper with God's words. Now, I just want you to think about what it would mean to practice disgraceful, underhanded tactics as a minister. Um... That word for tamper there that I have bolded, it has its background in the world of bait, like fishing bait or something. It means to ensnare, to try to try to trick something and capture them in a sneaky way. Wow. Now imagine doing that with, with God's word. And Paul apparently thought his opponents were doing some of these things at Corinth. And he said, I refuse to do that. I've renounced the disgraceful ways, the ways that seek to take advantage of people. Through my ministry, we are so accustomed to people trying to take advantage of us through salesmanship. I mean, how many of you really like it when a telemarketer calls you? How many of you think, they're, they're really looking out for me? We don't generally. We're used to people trying to sell us on things and to present them to us in such a way that makes them seem better than they actually are so that they can benefit from what we will do. That's what we're used to. I think I've told you before about watching that commercial years ago. This guy was on TV, and he said, I don't remember all the details, but he was advertising a book, and he said, just send me $50 for my book. How to get someone to send you $50 for a book. <laughs> we're used to tricky things like that going on with advertising, and, and we not, we're used to not really stating things truthfully, openly, directly. And, and the thing is, now people are used to preachers and pastors and ministers doing that kind of thing, trying to take advantage of people, to draw people into what they are doing, to somehow get benefit from them, rather than seeking to benefit them with the gospel. And so you think when people ask you to do things, they're trying to get something from you so that their work will go on, so that they can feel good about what they're doing, so that they can win as a church. My friend Billy Abraham has a beautiful quote about this, um, a penetrating quote, I should say, probably better. Many a pastor yearns to build an even modest empire and therefore falls prey to the almost irresistible temptation to emphasize size and numerical growth and to put into practice programs to achieve them. And then in a separate place close by, he says, unless we are very careful, listen to this, such delicate matters as friendship and love will be turned into one more utilitarian, just think practical, one more practical means or tool to increase the statistics of church membership. Before we know what is happening, sacred human relationships will have lost their integrity and the distinctive character of Christian love will have been eroded by an evangelistic orientation 
that construes them not as ends in themselves, treats people not as ends in themselves, but as means to an end. Do you see what he's saying there? We have this, we have this goal to make our church work to make our church programs successful, to feel like we've done good, to feel like we've outcompeted the other churches. And so we start treating people as means to an end. And we're not really loving those people. In fact, delicate matters like friendship and love are just turned into another, another manipulative move by us. Oh, we'll be your buddy. Get you in our church. Get you to do what we want you to do. Get you to come to our studies and our programs. That's not preaching the gospel. And this kind of stuff goes on all the time. We have to consciously, intentionally step out of that. And say, we are here to advance the cause of Christ. And it starts with his self-emptying. Giving himself for others, not striving to form a crowd around himself. Just emptying himself for others. And then he gives us this gospel to take forward and share. Paul said, I renounce the things, the, the games people play, the underhanded means people use to try to, to, to secure things for their own advantage. I put away those kind of things. And instead... Well, let me, let me go back to the verse before. But instead, by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You see, what Paul could do is rather than try to manipulate people, he just spoke the truth. Here's the gospel. I'm putting it out there for you. I'm not going to try to trick you in any way. This is just what it is. And we'll let God have it. And that's very uncommon these days to have people who don't have agendas with us. But that's the way it should be in the church. No agendas. No trying to get things for ourselves. But giving something that Christ has given to us. Here it is. We commend ourselves. See, as a minister... I need to be able to commend myself to you. And that's, uh, boy, I feel, I, I feel, I tremble to even say it, knowing my weakness, knowing all the ways that God knows I'm weak. <laughs> um, but you see, if I don't have any touch with the reality, that's going to come through. And then I'm going to be trying to sell you something, maybe, you know, you always wonder if the people selling their products really use their products, <laughs> right? And if I don't have any contact with that reality, you're going to want to know, or you're, going to, you're probably going to see it in me, that, that that's, that's true, that the reality's not there. I'm just trying to get you to do things. And Paul could say, I commend myself to you. Because he was in touch with God. And, and by just speaking the truth, saying everyone's conscious, this is in the sight of God, that's what really matters, what God sees. You see, when you think about God, that clears things up a lot. What, what manipulative attempts indicate, they always indicate that there's an absence of an awareness of God. Because once you say this is in the sight of God, you say, okay, I'm giving it to him. And I can just, I can just tell the truth. I can just state the gospel straightforwardly. 
without trying to get things to go my way. And God can do what he's going to do with that. We speak the gospel, we trust the gospel to take care of itself. And that's really where you get down to verse 3 then. Even if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. You see, it's not, it's not veiled because I've somehow put myself in the way of the gospel. It's veiled because people have been blinded by the enemy, but not because I'm in the way of it. We can trust that the gospel will take care of itself. Thomas Merton said, well, this is a paraphrase, I don't have the quotes in my mind, but he said that uh, somebody who knows the truth is not so concerned with defending the truth as he is stating it clearly. Because he believes that if you state the truth clearly, the truth will defend itself. We can just be openly stating the truth and not worry about what happens with it because it's in in God's sight. You see, the people who don't see it, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers that keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When the light shines, you need a dark veil to keep from seeing it. When bright light shines upon you, And the job of ministers is to let that light shine, not to make the church grow. The job of pastors and preachers is to let the light of the gospel shine, not to make sure everything's running perfectly smoothly or whatever. That's what we want to do, just say the gospel is here, and the gospel, when it it is preached, when it's made clear, people can respond to it. That light of the knowledge of the glory of God. God who said, let light shine out of darkness. We're dealing with the creative power of God. And that's the God who speaks to people's hearts when the gospel is preached. He'll shine in our hearts. He has shined in our hearts and he will shine in people's hearts. I want to fast forward to the, uh, uh, maybe what we say a climax here, uh, still in 2 Corinthians. And we'll skip that and, and go to this passage right here, more famous passage. Paul's still reasoning with these people about what he's doing with them and preaching the gospel. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And I just want you to think about that this morning. I'd like for you to allow me to allow God to make his appeal through me this morning. As an ambassador for Christ, God is making his appeal to you this morning. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You say, well, I'm already with God. Well, be be closer to God. Come to know him better. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, that's that's a... Debated passage, but the important point that comes out of it is Jesus has done something very amazing. Jesus has given himself, made him to be sin who knew no sin at all for us so that something could happen then in us and we turn in, uh, we, we become then the righteousness of God. And so working together then with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. 
You see, this great thing that's happened, we can waste it. We can throw it away. You ever seen these things they've shown where like a homeless person wins the lottery and then a year later they're back homeless again because they didn't know what to do with all that they had? And you think, what a waste. I want to tell you, there's, that's not even a drop in the bucket compared to what we're doing, having received the gift of Christ and wasting it and letting it be in vain. For he says, in a favorable, favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. A lot of people say, boy, this sounds good. I would like to live into this, and I'm going to do it once the kids get out of school. Or I'm going to try once my job gets lined out. Once things get a little bit smoother for me uh, at home, then I'm going to try this. At some point, my brothers and sisters, we have to stop telling God that tomorrow's the day of salvation. When he's told us it's today. Now is the day of salvation. Now is our opportunity. I want to urge you not to receive the grace of our Lord in vain. I'm presenting these things to you today because I have been touched with the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And I know it's real. And I know it's true. And that's what I want you to know about, about why I'm inviting you into things. I'm inviting you because the gospel's true. And because it really will change your life. God can be sought and God can be found. And I urge you to enter it and to know it. And to walk into spiritual maturity. Okay. That's, that's the scriptural invitation. And now I want to get to some practical ideas. We talk about a plan. What are we going to do? Here's the thing. Just to be blunt up front, if you want more of God, you have to change your life. More specifically, you have to rearrange and restructure your life so that you can seek God. Now that may sound like a big mouthful and something that's going to be really hard to do, but it may not be quite as crazy difficult as you initially think it is. Sometimes things are difficult just because we don't try them. So just this week, uh, so I, I've been having a, a, an electrical issue with my car, this, this thing that comes up in the back, um, the, the shade thing goes up and down electrically. And uh, for months now, probably for six or eight months, whenever I put my car in reverse, it makes this awful annoying sound, just like that. I finally, just this week, I wasn't looking for a sermon illustration. I just said, I'm going to stop. I'm going to get back there, and I'm going to see what I can do about this. I, I got back there. I messed around with it a little bit, got it down, and dare I say, I fixed my car. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes. People say I can't do things, but they don't know. And uh, I lived with that for six or eight months. And then I, I, I just fixed it like that. 
So I want to say to you that there are sometimes changes we can make. They may seem difficult at first. They may be difficult at first. But after a little bit of entering into them, you may find they weren't as uh, intimidating or impossible as you thought they were. But it is going to take some rearranging to seek God for most of our lives. If we haven't, if we haven't already established uh, strong practices already, and even then sometimes we have to be reminded and kind of renewed and rejuvenated to go after things again. We have to restructure in order to seek God. This includes various levels of life. We have personal practices, familial practices, and congregational practices, and those are reinforcing. I would have arrows going back up as well, but those are the only ones my PowerPoint graphics gave me, so we got them going down. But they should be going both ways, because our personal practice, our familial practices, our congregational practices, they end up impacting, it goes the other way, they impact each other. They're, they're always intersecting and overlapping. And uh, we could talk at length about personal practices. Um, if I could encourage you to do anything up front that we, without going into detail today, is to make some time for solitude. I mean extended time. At least an entire afternoon sometime and go be alone with God. And then maybe work up from there to a little more time and ask God to direct you. God will never jump on us. He'll never force us to give him our attention, but he waits for us to be open, and, and when we will stop, we will hear from him in various ways. So I'd encourage you personally to, to just spend some time in solitude. I want to focus right now on our congregational practices because we're thinking about what we're doing together, and those things then are going to, throughout the year, reinforce what we're doing as our families and what we're doing personally. Um, so, two primary uh, experts have identified two primary areas that influence the formation of children, and, and one is the family, obviously, what's, what's being done at home, the spiritual formation of kids, uh, what's happening in their homes, and the other is the teaching uh, curriculum of the church, how, how the church is teaching. Those two things tend to impact the formation of, of children more than, more than any other. So we want to talk about both of those things and emphasize both of, both of them uh, throughout this year. So this, this year... We're making a renewed effort to teach the church. Jesus told us to do this. He told us to make disciples and to teach them to do all things that he had, he had commanded. We want to do that. Uh, if you read the uh, pastoral epistles, you'll see Paul's emphasis on, on uh, teaching doctrine, sound doctrine, those kind of things. We want to emphasize those things in the church this year and going forward. Uh, we want to teach them not just in a way that gets them in people's heads, but teach them uh, how to live these things out, right? Because it matters to people. How many of you know that hospitals don't exist so doctors have a place to work? Hospitals exist because people have a desperate need. And I want you to know that churches don't exist so that preachers and pastors have a place to work. They exist because people have a desperate need. And they need to enter into the understandings that are life-giving. And that, that can really happen. But now we live in a, a, a state where biblical and the, not, not a state, I mean a condition, <laughs> there you go, uh, where biblical and theological ignorance is so common, it's axiomatic, and we could give the statistics and talk about what's, what's wrong. People aren't reading their Bibles, they don't, understand, uh, they don't understand Christian theology, and they can talk at length about things like environmentalism or the economy or politics, 
or football and can name off players and coaches and all those things, but they couldn't tell you what the books of the Bible are or couldn't have a meaningful discussion of, of the Trinity. And I don't say that to fuss at people. I've told you this before. I, I really think the problem is largely the churches, that we have not shown people the relevance of the Scriptures to their lives, and we haven't shown them how to read and understand them and the relevance of Christian theology, basic Christian doctrines to their lives. We haven't taught these things well, and so people don't, don't understand how to use them. So I'm not fussing at you about that. I'm saying let's do a better job as a church. And as a church, as a whole, let's come to practice things together. Let's turn, come to understand the Word together. Let's come to understand Christian doctrine together. Let's understand why it matters together. And then let's let that infiltrate our families so that we're living differently. Ultimately, it always comes back to pay off in life. Many of you, let me say this, some of you, many people, <laughs> uh, think that uh, it's important to watch cable news every day, but don't know why you would read the book of Galatians. And the reason is, you think the cable news is telling you things that are relevant to your life that day. And you don't see how the scriptures are. We want that to change. The scriptures are God's great, great gift to us. And we're not formed in Christ like we should be until we learn to internalize them and to, to feed on them. So we want to hear the scriptures and we want to learn to understand them better. So let me, let me tell you what we're going to do, and we're going to draw this to a close quickly here. Uh, these are four areas of content. I didn't make this up, okay? I'm drawing on the church historic here, especially those first three. For years, uh, the church did not have access to, broad access to the Bible, uh, and literacy was not at all what it is these days. So we have to think about what we should do now in a different setting. But for years, the, the, the three core elements that have been passed down and taught in the church taught very carefully to the people are, are Christian doctrine, right? what are foundational Christian beliefs, Christian ethics, how do we live, Christian spirituality, how do we pray, how do we practice spiritual discipline, those kind of things. And then interpreting the Bible so that we just can feed on it ourselves all the time. These four areas are foundational, and we want to pursue these together. We want to enter into a time of, of really learning these things together as a church. And the, So here, here's... Uh, what this is going to look like for us this year. First of all, you have the, the seminar category. Um, rather than trying to load something onto everybody's week, we've decided to have three seminars. Uh, and uh, there could be four in coming years. We have three this year. But uh, a, Friday, a Friday evening and Saturday morning is, is what it's going to involve. And uh, we're going to cover these, these areas, these basics. Uh, in, Biblical understanding, Christian theology, Christian spiritual life, how to, how to live and, and pray. Um, and I'll say, I'll say more about our first one coming up. We're going we're to schedule three of these in, in this year and uh, do it together. Now, I always like to operate by invitation. And this is why I say to you, all that I've said about ministry, what the Apostle Paul was saying, I don't want you to come to things for me. Don't think that you're guilty before me for not attending things. I want you to come to enter more deeply into the way of Christ. And we want to do these things together uh, so that we can grow together. But this is an invitation to you to know God and to love God more deeply. The other thing we're going to do is a family discipleship night. 
every second, Sunday, second Saturday starting in uh, February. We're going to spend time focusing on our families together and growing together. Now let me explain. It's going to be directed towards marriages, which includes uh, a lot of us in here, and towards uh, uh, young families with kids. We're going to spend a lot of time on that. But we are inviting the whole church to this, and we're going to eat together. Location's not settled yet. We'll let you know for sure about that, but we're going to eat together, and then we're going to spend some time. We're going to have fun with this. We're going to play some games with this. We're also going to just talk together about how to grow. One of the things we want you older ones to be there for, for when the younger ones are talking about parenting, is we want to sit with you guys and uh, form some panels and ask you guys questions, ask you guys to share with us what you've learned as parents over the years and uh, uh, where you've... Uh, where you've done it right and maybe where you've done it wrong. So you can help us to grow as parents. We're going to read this little book together. It's very small, very short. Uh, it's, it's called Grow at Home, um, A Beginner's Guide to Family Discipleship. And we're going to talk about how we can actually take the practices of spiritual life, spiritual life-giving practices into our homes together. So, um, so that's coming for us to practice on a, on a monthly basis, on, on the second Saturday of each month. Um, like I said, everybody's invited. We'll kind of need to get an idea of who all is coming because we're going to provide food. Uh, but uh, uh, there will be various ways that you guys can contribute and help us by joining in with this, this time of discipleship. And then, of course, we have our ongoing classes. We're establishing a new member class, not just to kind of fill people in on what they're getting involved in, but actually make sure we're grounded and on the same page, uh, spiritually, biblically, theologically, and we're starting one actually tomorrow night uh, with uh, some of the new people here at this church. If you're interested in that, you can talk to us about that. But uh, uh, that's going to be an eight-week course where we, we get people grounded in important areas. Um, uh, so the, the seminars, I have these in the last slide. This is what's coming this year. And uh, we want to get the dates out there very early, besides the February date, so that you can put this on your calendar and hopefully be involved. Um, uh, we'll get posters out with this. I haven't talked to Victoria about this, but I'm Victoria's boss, so she has to do it when I say. Um, no, we'll, we'll get some posters and have these announced throughout the year, and hopefully you all can participate. I will say this, that uh, we really do want to establish an expectation that, that people who are going to be involved in leadership will, will share in these things. Uh, leadership in our worship, leadership in our grow groups, leadership in classes and teaching, because we need to be on the same page on these important matters. So uh, as we grow in these things together, please understand this is not busy work. This is not, uh, let's get something to do as a church. This is something that is about knowing God, seeking God, and loving God. And it will be reinforced in all kinds of ways, in our, in our sermons, in our classes, in our small groups. It's not just the seminar is going to change everything, but we're going to learn these things together, and we're, gonna, we're going to uh, pursue them together. And I hope that you will uh, see over time the significance that this has for life and, and living with God. So just here in a, in a month, basically, we're going to have Brad Johnson come in, and he's going to talk to us about learning to understand and love the Bible, because the truth is so much of the church is not reading the Bible and not growing and not loving the Bible, not growing from it. And we want to enter deeply into the Word and start, start seeing how can we, we take it home with our kids and with our individual lives and then overflowing into our, our interactions with each other. That's what's coming up soon. So I know that's a lot of information today. This is not a typical sermon where I download a bunch of to-do stuff, but I, I wanted to connect it with uh, uh, 
the central things we're concerned about here. Knowing God, loving God, seeking God. That's what we're doing, and we're going we're gonna to have a plan for doing that as a church. Now, that's going to need to filter down then in a lot of other ways personally and in our families, and we'll continue to reinforce those as we, as we work together. I urge you, my brothers and sisters, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for uh, this time we've had together. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you that we can pursue you. And Lord, for the people here who are hungry for you, would you please satisfy them? Please light a fire in our hearts for the most important things. And let us find that it's all real and it's all true. In Jesus' name, amen.